0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Wednesday, December 28th, aka our Eclipse Ballot Show. Very happy to be talking through the Eclipse Ballot, which I actually get to vote in again uh, this year for the first time in several years, which is uh, very exciting for me. And before I, you know, pull the trigger, push the button, whatever you want to say, I did want to talk to a few expert friends. The first one has been a guest on these airwaves from time to time. And recently, when I threw out to him an open invitation to come back on the show, his appearance is always very popular, he said, well, maybe we should do something around the Eclipse Awards, and and maybe we should do it earlier on in the process when the conversation, I think the idea being the conversation maybe can uh, affect what some other people are doing out there. We'll see if that's uh, the case. I am speaking about the Hall of Famer, Jay Privman. How are you, Jay?
1: Good, Pete. Good to be with you. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if we're going to, Sway anybody. I don't know that it's intended to sway anybody, but I do like the idea of explaining the process um, at least that I go through and and how I arrive at some of the decisions that I make.
0: And the next man to come in is Racing Knowledge, really second to none. You hear him on these airwaves all the time. You read his writing about the Naira circuit over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And uh, you might have heard him on the microphone, too, recently if you're in the state of Texas. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on?
2: I'm doing great, Pete. I think what you're going to get is uh, a lot of insight into how Jay goes through the process and a lot of insight into why I'm not a part of the process. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've never had a vote, Nick?
2: I've never had a vote.
0: But, uh, you know, it's certainly, as someone who's as much of a student of the game as you are, I, I assume it's something you care about and, and think is important.
2: Yeah, I think so for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of impact, obviously, with these awards, and I think in in at the very least, they end up being great fodder for conversation and for people like you and I that try to to bring a lot of, uh, and, and Jay, of course, for years and years, bringing a lot of topics to the public to let them digest and formulate their own opinions on it. It certainly makes for a, a pretty fascinating one.
0: Jay, let's talk about your general process in general, and then we'll just go through the ballot in order here some may accuse me of a host fail for not uh, starting with the, the debate that many will see as the lead in this year's eclipse conversation but how do you how do you approach this does, does your process start when the ballot arrives is it something you track through the year
1: I, I think it's it's both really i mean obviously i'm tracking things as they go through the year and kind of formulating ideas especially later in the year i don't really have a uh, you know any eclipse thoughts on July first is like, well, who's the mid-year eclipse leaders or whatever. Um, but you know, as we get certainly towards Breeders' Cup and through the Breeders' Cup, then I'll start formulating ideas. But I always wait for the ballot to come out, uh, and I always wait to vote on January first. I think it's important to wait for everything to be done, even if there's insignificant things happening on December thirtieth or thirty-first. I just think the right thing to do is to wait for the year to be concluded and then sit down and take your time and 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 go through it and as we'll see here with our discussion with the three of us you know some of these categories are slam dunks and some require
0: a little more thought let's start with the 2 year old male category that's the first that comes up and this one, uh, I don't imagine we're going to be spending all that much time on. But curious, Jay, we'll start with you. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily super informative to get too into the weeds about the fact that we have to put three selections forward. But I am interested to know, you know, even in a category where there's not much debate on the first, who you would, who you were thinking of throwing in for the second and third and, and any thought behind that process as well.
1: Right. So I, I think it's important to, to vote. Uh, for all three in in a logical way because it's important to the connections of these horses if they are considered one of the top three vote-getters. There's a a misused word to describe these horses quite often in copy and uh, and at the Eclipse Awards itself. They're called finalists, and and they're not really the finalists. They're actually, in point of fact, the top three vote-getters in each division, and I think that's an important... uh, way of, of framing this. But this is as just sort of alluded to a moment ago. We talked about which divisions are slam dunks and which aren't. This is an obvious slam dunk. Forte won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile after previous grade one wins in the hopeful and Breeders' Futurity. And most importantly, all the leaders of the division were in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and he won. So this is an easy one. Um, and you could easily fill out your ballot with the ones who were second and third uh, Cave Rock and National Treasure as being the second and third The horses in here. Cave Rock certainly for me is, is the second one in here. Third's a little more of a, a jump ball. You could maybe make uh, a case for a horse like Blazing Sevens or some of the others in here. But the one, two is easy, and, and
0: certainly the champion in this division is, uh, should be by acclamation. Yeah, not much not much up for debate there. I'm tempted to be a little bit of a wise guy with the third pick and throw a runner like Loggins in there, who I thought was so impressive in defeat to Forte. And it's one of those things where it just depends on how you look at the award. I mean, obviously on credentials, a third in the Breeders' Cup juvenile is better than um, a second in the in the futurity. I, I just I almost can't help myself and knowing that it's really the first place votes getting counted. Um, I don't feel that bad about throwing a little bit of handicapping opinion in there, but I, I think Nick will bring you in for this. It's one of the things we're going to come back to time and again in these awards is how much do you take the attitude that it, it, this is, this part of the process should be results driven purely. And how much do you want to be a wise guy and take in your handicapping opinion about such and such being better than it looked?
2: Yeah. I mean, as much as I spend a great deal of time talking about, The pitfalls of being overly results oriented this is like the ultimate results oriented process so you do have to kind of go with what happened and base everything that you do on that um in in comparison to to saying you know horse like Loggins, who arguably, I mean, to me, not even arguably, he very clearly ran the best race in the Breeders' Futurity, even though he was bested narrowly by Forte. I don't know if it's enough necessarily to get him onto a ballot, given that he had just a maiden win coming into that. So I would probably stay away from that. Um, But I do think that it has had some, there have been some opportunities where it's maybe influenced a total vote, but I do think that the The uh, the writers have been very consistent about using the results. And I think for the most part, using the results properly uh, to apply to the whole situation, who should be who should win.
0: We'll return to uh, some other examples of uh, looking at horses whose efforts were better than they looked as we as we get a little bit on in the process. But meanwhile, we'll move ahead to the two year old Philly candidates. Nick, how do you see uh, how do you see this one? Well, this is, this
2: feels like another slam dunk for Wonder Wheel who, you know, put together a couple of grade one wins at the end of the year, winning the Alcibiades and of course winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. And I mean, I think it's, it's obviously very clear that over time, the single race that matters most in these divisions is the Breeders' Cup event. Um, I think in this division, it's been, I'm actually going to look, it's been a very long time since the, a non Breeders' Cup winner won the award. And, and that's just because these horses are running on a on a very, very limited basis. So I, I think we'll continue to see that happen here. Um, I believe the answer to that question is She's a Tiger was the last one to win the award and not win the Breeders' Cup. And I I think she was disqualified in the Breeders' Cup, if I'm remembering correctly. So that makes sense. And I think Wonder Wheel will do it. And she seems like a pretty deserving winner. I would imagine the other uh, fillies on the ballot will be uh, the the vanquished winner of the... Why am I not remembering the horse's name that was the favorite in this race? Well, actually, no, that's not true because the favorite in this race was the filly that she had beaten in the uh, in the Alcibiades. So, um, Wonder Wheel just to me looks like a very very clear winner.
0: Yeah, Chop Chop being the 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 one from the from the Alcibiades. Um, the other question yeah, the Chocolate about Chocolate
2: this- Gelato is the horse whose name I was trying to remember. She was the morning line favorite, but the guy who made the morning line in there obviously didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, Question for you guys. Well, we'll just throw it right to Jay. What does it take in this category for a turf runner to, uh, to make it to your top three?
1: Yeah, I think you could say that for, for the male division as well. I think you could, there's certainly sentiment that to throw in a horse like Victoria road as the third place horse uh, in that division. Similarly, you could do the same thing uh, in the grass race, uh, you know, with meditate, you, you could certainly throw her in. I, you know, I, I prefer the overall body of work in this country when when you're looking at uh, at champions. And to me, you know, to, to put a horse like let's use Meditate, who won the Juvenile Philly Turf, to put her on top in this division, you'd have to have had utter chaos, I think, among the dirt runners that are based in North America. But we didn't have that. We have a clear cut winner in Wonder Wheel, and by my mind, we have a clear cut second pick in Leave No Trace, who beat Wonder Wheel in the Spinaway and was second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. They're, to me, the the top two in here. Third is a little more diffuse. You can make a case for several horses, chop, chop, chocolate, gelato. And certainly, Pete, uh, to your point, I think Meditate is a a horse you could throw in for third in here (laughs) off of her Breeders' Cup win, but for me, no higher than that.
0: I agree, and it's not really clear in the rules. They don't say this is a dirt category Versus a, a turf category, and this is another conversation. We'll get. This is actually a good a good segue into the next topic of conversation. But for me, with these traditional American categories. You know, I think dirt and, and it has to be what Jay described exactly for me. There has to be chaos to the point where I have trouble naming a horse I feel comfortable calling a champion and then a clear alternative of like a good Breeders' Cup winner to uh, to get me off dirt in a category like two-year-old Philly or a category like three-year-old male where we will head directly. And this is one, Nick, you and I have talked about this at, at great length on the show's Already, so I say we bring in Jay to frame the conversation, and I'll just ask you point blank: Who gets your vote for three-year-old male, Jay?
1: Well, I haven't decided yet. Uh, it's kind of I'm punting here, and it's it's a hard category. Uh, you know, to me, it's between Epicenter and Taba, and there's positives and negatives. You know, for both, obviously for Taba, the the most significant thing for him is that he has three grade one wins, including the Malibu just the other day at Santa Anita. You know, and he he competed all year long. Uh, he was thrown to the wolves in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, he split his two races against Epicenter, but you know, Epicenter suffered a career-ending injury. The the one time that Taba finished in front of him, uh, and then you look at Epicenter's record; he was never worse than second in his first seven races of the year. You can make the argument we were talking about results over uh, handicapping processes, but you could certainly make the case that Epicenter was the best horse in both the Derby and the Preakness in which he finished second in both races. And it's not insignificant to finish second of 20 in the Kentucky Derby regardless uh, of uh, even if he didn't win the race. You know, second of 20 is, is, is a heck of a, uh, an achievement. And then he continued on and won the Jim Dandy, won the Travers. You know, those who would be against him would say, well, he only, quote unquote, only won one grade one. But he ran so well in the Derby and Preakness, and you could certainly say that the Louisiana Derby has been deserving of grade one status. Uh, To me, this is far and away the hardest category. I know there's a lot of sentiment out there for modern games. I don't see it. There's there's a perfectly wonderful category for him to receive the championship, and that's male turf horse. Uh, He did beat older horses twice in North America, once in Canada, and once, of course, in the Breeders' Cup mile. I just think the overall body of work in this country of Taba and
0: epicenter
1: make it between
0: those two. I I think you've laid it out very, very well and said a lot of things I agree with, though maybe for me, I feel more strongly that it should be epicenter over Taba. And I think for me, it comes down to a point that you made, Jay, about just the primacy of the Triple Crown series and then throw in the, the sort of wise guy angle, if you will, that I think it's pretty clear that he was the best in those races. And Taba was awesome and Taba in a normal year deserving of a, of a championship, but I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a campaign that could be a champion campaign. It's not like it's nuts to say this campaign is worthy of a championship. I'm not saying that at all, but when I think when you look through the races and think about, you know, the, the role that they really play in American racing, for me, the picture becomes clear, even with the, uh, the, the nice Malibu win the other day, I've, I've no trouble just, uh, going to war with epicenter in this category nick i know a couple of months ago when we were speculating what might happen in this category you were on a similar page to what i was just saying have taba's late season achievements changed your mind at all
2: no they've not Um, and i think you know i i don't have terribly much to add to what either of you said but i i would say that one of the things that has become clear over time which we talked about with regards to the two-year-olds is that the the uh, Breeders' Cup races take on an a, an extra amount of significance when it comes to pretty much every category. To me, this is the only division where first half of the season accomplishments are probably supposed to take on more uh, – they're supposed to mean a little bit more than they would for anybody else. Right. Right. I don't think we're going to upgrade necessarily an older male that wins the Stephen Foster or the Ali Sheba or even the Met Mile, but then maybe has a a bit of a backwards campaign and not that Epicenter did whatsoever, but I think you kind of get my drift. And so the fact that Epicenter ran as well as he did in the lead up to the, to the triple crown ran as well as he did in the triple crown. I think that gives him just a little bit more, a little bit more sort of gusto in, in, in his, for his candidacy. And, and while I respect the work that Taba did, my problem with the whole grade one, grade two thing is, is anybody stacking up the Santa Anita Derby against the risen star or, or the Louisiana Derby? Because I mean, the grades next to those races, we could probably do another podcast on that topic as well. So, I mean, that is a I just think that is the ultimate flawed argument as far as as what people would use. And quite honestly, the only people I think that are putting a lot of stock into that are ones that are are trying to sell status or make stallion ads and things like that. And I'm just not in that game. So I think Epicenter's body of work is is just a little bit better. And I certainly wish he was around to settle things on the racetrack with Taba in 2023. But we'll have to at least uh, see what we get out of Taba, who probably will end up being a candidate for one of these awards a year from now.
0: My gut is to just completely discount the the BC Classic. And, and you know, I'm not considering that a relevant form line. And it sounded, Jay, like you were similar. I mean, when a horse can't finish the race, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't. I wouldn't. If I was making a case for Taba, I'd leave that part of the argument out that he finished ahead of him in the Breeders' Cup Classic. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of conflicted over that. I, I, I in, in the case of just specifically Epicenter, yeah, it, it's hard to count that against him. But, you know, the flip side of that is we don't know what would have happened if he'd have run on. You know, Taba might have finished in front of him. He might not have. We we just don't know. And so I don't think you can penalize Taba for that. Uh, He did, in fact, run a very good race against older horses. And I think that counts for something. How much, you know, 2%, 5% of of the equation in here. It's it's hard to quantify, but I think it counts for something. And you you shouldn't just sort of discount what he did because his chief rival for this award was regretfully unable to finish the race.
0: When was the last time the Kentucky Derby winner was not a finalist for the three-year-old male eclipse award? Has it ever happened? I'm kind of thinking it's never happened. And I mean, Rich Strike certainly could make his way into that third spot, though I think there's enough modern game support that that and the way they calculate the awards, especially counting the first place votes to determine the finalists, I, I think there's a a, a re- very real chance Rich Strike will not make it on there. Um, will you have him in your top three, Jay?
1: No, he, he won't, and he won't make the top three because, as you just pointed out, the the top three f- in in terms of uh, of how it's uh, announced is based on points. And I just don't see him gathering enough points from the top three to to to, to be there. The, the, uh, the, the divisions are, the winners are based on first place votes and he's not going to get a first place vote or more for, if anybody does vote for him first, uh, and there may be a few people who do, he's certainly not going to have more first place votes than the three that we've been discussing most prominently here. Uh, yeah. so I, I don't see him finishing in the top
0: three. Historical anomaly, uh, potentially upon us. Can you think, can you think, make of a time when the when a Derby winner might not have been in the, in the top three in this category? I can't imagine it's ever
2: happened. Well, way more recently yeah. than you realize. Cause a country house. I don't think country house was a finalist in
0: 2019. Oh, That's interesting. And that was obviously such a strange situation with the DQ and him never running again. Oh, I'd love to... I, I should have looked this up before we started host fail here for sure if I get an opportunity I'll look and see if he snuck into the into the top three that year but uh, it's anyway it's an interesting little side note in what I think is a fascinating uh, fascinating category and what will certainly be some of the biggest drama of the night because people have very strong opinions either way and Jay when will you put when you submit will you, will you put your ballot out on Twitter? can we see what you uh, finally decided in the category so we don't have to hold your feet to the fire here? Yeah, of course. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, we'll keep the conversation going over there. And this is a great one on Twitter or in the comments or wherever. Let us know what you think. People make your cases. It's kind of it's kind of fun and interesting example of how people look at the world maybe, or <laughs> what they think in this category. Let's
2: pivot hey, not over pat myself on the back, Pete. But no. just uh, I was right. Country House was not a finalist in 2019. The three finalists were Omaha Beach, Maximum Security and uh, Code of Honor.
0: Oh, that's very good. Well, it shows you what I know, but <laughs> it didn't happen that long ago. Well, it is all. unlikely. There's no
2: denying it is very unlikely.
0: Let's talk three-year-old Philly, gentlemen. Uh, Nick, we'll keep it with you to kick off this conversation.
2: Well, I think, I did you do that ironically? Because I think everybody thinks I don't like Nest, but that's not <laughs> true. Um, no, I think Nest is terrific. And obviously she's a, a very, very deserving winner of this uh, particular honor. And um, you know, to put together the kind of campaign that she did and and to beat, even though she beat, it was a very modest field. She beat older horses as well, which I know a lot of people put some stock into, and I don't blame them whatsoever. So Ness should be a, uh, I mean Ness should be pretty close to a unanimous winner in this category. It'd be pretty hard to argue against it. I do think that Secret Oath earned her way into to the second spot with a, an improved effort in the uh, in the uh, Breeders' Cup Distaff, yep. which um, you know hopefully is a harbinger of things to come. That maybe she can be a, a bit better Philly and get back to that top level that she had. A little bit earlier in 2022. And uh, I think, you know, between those two, obviously they'll garner the majority of the votes, but again, Nest should get almost all of them.
0: Who else is in this conversation, if anybody, Jay?
1: In terms of
0: a, a first place
1: vote, to me, no one. And and to me, it, it's really a one horse race for first place in my mind. I, I think Nest is far more deserving than Secret Oath. And obviously Nick does too, based on what he just said. He was just basically saying that, you know, Secret Oath is is an obvious cold punch uh, second for the exacta here uh, in in terms of the eclipse voting. But, and I would, and I would agree with that, but in terms of, uh, of the divisional winner uh, to me, there's no question that it, it should be nest. And, you know, here's another one where there's, there's several horses that you could throw in for a third place vote, including maybe even, you know, a grass horse like Tuesday, who we'll get to obviously, because she'll be among the candidates, for female grass horse, uh, I'm sure, but there's others in here that certainly deserve uh, attention. But in terms of
0: the divisional winner, to me, there's no question it's Nest. How do you do that when you're filling out down ballot? I mean, would you go? It doesn't really matter in terms of how, it's, how, how the votes are ultimately used, so you don't have to put too much energy into it. But my inclination would probably be to go Nest, Secret Oath, and Tuesday in that, in that order on the ballot do you have any like growth process or do you just do that by feel
1: no I, I just sort of do it by feel and who i think you know accomplished the most during the course of the year you could look at tuesday you could certainly look at society who ran a, a sensational race in the cotillion uh and then you know in the breeder's cup distaff she she set the pace and, and then folded you know she's somebody you could make a case for as a third place kind of horse but it's, it's you're just sort of splitting hairs at this point between a horse like her or Tuesday, in my mind.
0: Yeah, I think that's about right. Older male could be potentially one of the shortest conversations we have all show, obviously. But uh, another one where I think it's kind of interesting to, to talk about what other numbers you fill out or what other names you fill out on your ballot behind flight line. How do you approach a category like this in terms of filling out your actual ballot, Jay?
1: So I just sort of look at who accomplished the most during the course of the year. And the, the horses, to, by my mind, that are the ones that you would look prominently at would include Cody's Wish uh, with a couple of grade one wins, including the, the Dirt Mile. You'd look at Country Grammar. I'm going in alphabetical order here. You'd look at yeah. Country Grammar uh, for winning the Dubai World Cup and then running second uh, in the Pacific Classic to Flight Line. You'd look at, obviously, a horse like Life is Good. Uh, who won the, the Whitney and the Woodward and, and then in the Breeders' Cup Classic, just was overwhelmed by a, a superior horse, but you know, won three grade one races going back to the beginning of the year when he, when he won the Pegasus. Uh, and then certainly uh, Olympiad, who was a distant second in the Breeders' Cup Classic and won the Jockey Club Gold Cup. Those are, those are among the horses that you would put in the second and third slots,
0: but uh, I, I think by acclamation it's certainly Flightline's division. Yeah, life is good with the three grade ones. I'm very happy putting him in behind. And I also, this shouldn't matter at all. And it's not why I would would put him second. I mean, it's the three grade ones, but just a little emotional extra credit for the tactics employed in the breeders cup classic that i think allowed uh, Flightline to put on the show that he did against this serious multiple grade one winning rival who was ahead of him by two lengths at at one point and 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 you know helped generate that that performance and and that time but again that's that's just window dressing The, the the accomplishments are there Nick, any thoughts on this category beyond beyond the obvious, or, or or you know maybe this is also just a final time to reflect on what we saw from Flightline this year?
2: Yeah, I think what Jay laid out is exactly right, and I mean if I was going through the process, I'd do the same thing. I mean I think it would be really the the question for me would be who I would you know have on the ballot if I was going to choose three. Obviously, with Flightline first and Life is Good second, my my choice would really be between either Olympiad or uh, Cody's wish for that third spot. I thought Olympiad had a really nice campaign and, and, you know, I, I think it was easy to overlook because he kind of took the, he took a bit of the JV route to a lot of the, the, the races, you know, he ran in, in new Orleans a couple of times. And, but, you know, by the time we got to, to July 1st, I mean, he had won the Stephen Foster, the Ali Sheba, the mine shaft and the new Orleans handicap. That's a, that's an awfully good resume that he then added the jockey club gold cup to, um, as well as a good runner-up finish in the Breeders' Cup Classic. So, yeah. you know, in many years, that would have been pretty close to a slam dunk Eclipse Award campaign, right, right. depending on who had yeah. ended up winning the, the Breeders' Cup Classic itself. Maybe it had been a three-year-old. So he'd probably get the nod from me as that third choice, but the first two would be very clear.
0: Let's talk about the older Dirt female candidates. Was this one for you, Nick, Won at the Breeders' Cup?
2: Yes, um, they came in, you know, with a two-one edge for Clarier, and Malathot had only beaten her the one time in the personal ensign, and you kind of felt like maybe that was not Clarier's best effort, but Malathot was able to get it done with that really just tremendously game. Performance in the distaff, and and really one of the races of the year, in my opinion. I think if we didn't, if we weren't treated to so many breathtaking performances by Flightline, I think the distaff would probably have gotten even a little bit more attention as what a, just a tremendous race it was. And uh, and Malathot being that, you know, super grinder that just knew how to find the wire. And I think as time went by, she really won me over as a fan. And uh, and it had a lot to do with the way she rebounded off of that poor. Shoe v effort, and don't take anything away from Clarier I mean, she had an excellent year that uh, where she put together uh, a nice Grade One win in the Ogden Phipps and came right back with the shoe V in what was probably you know more of a Grade One caliber race because she and Malathot were in there. So hats off to uh, to the connections there. But yeah, this feels like Malathot's uh, Malathot's category.
0: Jay is the guy who literally wrote the book about the Breeders' Cup curious to see if you think this is an example where it should really be the, 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 the lever to throw the championship uh, with that Malathat performance that day.
1: It, it, it is for, uh, I, I agree with everything that Nick just laid out there. Uh, I, I think Malathat won the category by winning the Breeders' Cup Distaff. This was a fun division all year long. I mean, these, these mares, uh, these Phillies put on a heck of a show in a number of races. I mean, the Ogden Phipps was, was a tremendous race. Uh, inclu- not only the, the race that Clariera Malathat ran, but you know search results ran out of her mind that day. Uh, so this was a, a terrific division. That Breeders' Cup distaff was a, a thrilling race, but Malathat uh, finishing off the year with three straight grade ones uh, and, and never worse than second in her six starts. She's a deserving champion, and Clarier is the deserving runner-up. And then you can make a case for a couple of others for, for third in here, including Blue Stripe, who was just... Suffered a brutal defeat uh, in, in the distaff, but had a had a really good campaign. Uh, four races, but all were terrific efforts, including a a grade one win when she won the Clement Hirsch. And you know, unfortunately, search results didn't show up in the in the distaff. But and she didn't win a grade one. But boy, she ran a she ran a that Ogden Phipps just to me was one of the all time great losing efforts
0: I've ever seen. It was an impressive race. Is the depth of the routers such that I'm nuts for wanting to acknowledge Goodnight Olive's campaign by by throwing her a, a third vote in this category, Jay?
1: No, I think you could certainly uh, throw her in for third in here. She's got the couple grade one wins. The, the nice thing for her is that she's going to win an Eclipse Award uh, in, in her own specialty. So right. that, that'll take care of her. But yeah, if you wanted to throw her in for
0: third in here, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. No, that's a good point. I mean, it. If I would feel stronger about making her third, if there wasn't another category that was uh, that was appropriate, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. Let's move on to male sprinter as we as we get into some of the more uh, some of the more specialized categories. Nick, give us your overview of this one.
2: Oh, you switched it up and you made me have to uh, to, to lead <laughs> off here, which is fine. Um, you know, I think probably even though I've I've kind of made comments to the contrary. I think this is a division where a horse winning the breeders cup ended up putting him over the top. And, and it's not so much because by the end of the year, I had really kind of grown tired of Jackie's warrior, but elite power came, came up quickly enough winning the Vosberg and the breeders cup cl- uh, sprint to win this division. And, and, you know, I, hats off obviously to Jackie's warrior who had done some, some pretty tremendous work Um earlier in the year, but I think losing the forego and losing the breeders cup was enough to really erase the the good memories of the Vanderbilt and count fleet and Churchill downs and, and even the true north. And I know he did have the four graded stakes wins versus just the two for elite power, but elite power ultimately won the right race. And I think this is one of those uh, situations where that comes in. I wonder, and you know, I, I take more of a handicapper's perspective to it in general. There's a lot of easy criticisms of Jackie's warrior because, you know, this division was very, very soft. And, and now that's the second year in a row where he went in a, a prohibitive favorite and the breeders cup sprint didn't get the job done. And I think that, that there's, you're supposed to probably try and poke some holes into, uh, into his, his, his resume just a little bit. I mean, you know, we know that the runner up in a race like the Vanderbilt was knee deep in snow. So, I mean, this is a horse that really feasted on some soft competition early in the year. And by the time he had to face a real rival like Cody's Wish and like Elite Power, um, he wasn't quite good enough. So I'd be very comfortable making Elite Power the winner of this uh, particular category. I'd give Jackie's Warrior, you know, if I was choosing three, I'd obviously include Jackie's Warrior. And I guess being that the mile has sort of dovetailed at times with the sprint, I would include Cody's Wish as as a a finalist here, if for no other reason than he did win the forego.
0: Jay, is this another case where the Breeders' Cup is the difference maker, or are you swayed at all by Jackie's body of work through the year?
1: Yeah, this is a tougher call. This, to me, was uh, along with three-year-old male, and then when we get to to female grass horse, these are the ones that I struggled the most with. Um, You know, Elite Power winning the Breeders' Cup Sprint—that is—that is is a big, big, you know. Point in his favor, the the most significant point in his favor, obviously, and he just he just went from strength to strength as the year went on. It's just he had such a light campaign early on that that's the, the one thing I'm struggling with. Whereas at least Jackie's warrior, they they had said all along, here's where we're running. If you want to take us on, fine. And to, to Nick's point, a lot of people said we'll pass uh, because he ended up running against. Some pretty soft competition in those races, but he looked absolutely brilliant doing it. His race in the true north was breathtaking. Uh, the race in the Churchill Downs as well and, and 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 such. But he didn't finish off the year well. And they had said all along, here's what we're pointing for. And maybe you could give him a mulligan for the forego, because it, it was sort of a means to an end, and it was seven-eighths and 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 all that. Uh, but I just didn't – his Breeders' Cup sprint really left me cold, Uh, not only with elite power beating him, but, you know, CZ Rocket has – CZ Rocket is a nice horse, but he's not – anybody's going to confuse him with a a divisional champion here, and he couldn't even hold him off either. And that's stuff I really struggle with. Uh, You know, the other horse in here, and Nick just brought him up sort of in passing, but I think you got to give him a long look, is Cody's Wish. Who in fact was three for three about around one turn? Uh, he won the Westchester, he won the Hanshin. Those are one-turn miles. He won the forego. and then obviously the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile doesn't count as a sprint, but it's something to look at his resume on. And to me, he's a horse you could make a legitimate case for because he beat Jackie's Warrior on the square uh, in the forego after you know kind of acting up before the, the the race was run. So. This is a this is a tough category for me that I'm I'm going to need a, a you know a couple more days to really marinate in and, and decide which way I'm going to go. Those are my top three.
0: What order I put them in, I I really don't know yet. I'm okay putting Cody's wish third, but just definitionally, I can't consider those mile races as as sprints, even though I mean it certainly seems that they, they obviously he's on the ballot here, and we're supposed. We, Presumably, we're supposed to be uh, considering those races for the category, but I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance with that. And I think I'm going to vote for Jackie. You know, I mean, Nick makes a great point for elite power. If you are a Breeders' Cup, you know, if you're just... Breeders cup is worth three grade ones to you. I get it. But like breeders cup to me is more worth. If I were making a calculation, I probably consider it like two grade ones. And I still think I just keep coming back to winning a grade one on May 7th and winning a grade one at, at Saratoga and just, and, and still I agree as a handicapper, what did I think of Jackie's warriors breeders cup sprint? Not much, but it's still a third beaten less than two in that you know worth two grade ones race so i i think i'm gonna let him scrape by and and maybe you'll accuse me of it being a a a bit of a lifetime achievement award and i certainly wouldn't argue with anybody who wanted to go elite power but that's uh that's kind of how i see that one uh that one shaking out do you have any uh any sympathy for that point of view nick or are you shaking your head at me
2: Um, you know, I just, I I guess I try to, to maintain a certain level of consistency with all of this. And, you know, if I'm kind of, if one of the things that I'm using to choose epicenter over Taba is the quality of the grade ones and grade twos, because even though that's a little esoteric, it's something I'm willing to do. I'm not going to upgrade Jackie's warrior for winning the Vanderbilt because it wasn't a grade one. So, I mean, it was, it was just not a great feel at all. Um, So that's the only thing that I think would sway me a little bit now if anybody wants to tell me that the Vosburg wasn't a grade two caliber field, I'm not going to argue with that either. But <laughs> I just, I just think this is one of those scenarios where it was a division that was so up for grabs, you know, it was literally there for the taking for anyone. And the fact that elite power had had that Vosburg win, then won the breeders cup sprint. He probably was one of the few, you know, as, as Jay was saying about CZ rocket, if CZ rocket ends up surging up the inside and he wins the race and elite power runs third, uh, runs second and Jackie runs third, Jackie probably wins. Because CZ Rockets' campaign had nothing else of note at all. I mean, he lost the Santa Anita Sprint Championship by a nose, you know, or a neck or so. It just he had he had nothing else really, really happen. I mean, it would have taken maybe a horse like American Theorem or, you know, some of the others in there. Um, Kamari obviously not qualifying or potentially qualifying if she won. But it, the fact it was elite power that had just won the Vosburg and then won that race, to me, even though that's just a very brief – a uh, number, a very brief campaign, a very small number of races run at a high level. I just think it ends up being enough.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's. I think reasonable minds can disagree on this uh, category. That much is for sure. Let's pivot to female sprinter, Jay. I think you tipped your hand a little bit earlier when we were talking about this one. Who will be on the top of your ballot? What do you see your uh, your ballot looking like in this category?
1: Well, certainly, Goodnight Olive is the deserving champion here. She, you know, she finished it off with two Grade Ones and. The nice thing about this race is that pretty much every top contender for this title is in this race, and, and she won as much the best. So I have no problem voting her on top. It's, it's harder, again, to, to decide who you fill out the rest of the, the ballot with because there's so many other horses that you could make a, a mild case for, including Caravel, who won the, the turf sprint against males. In a in a pretty dynamic performance, so those are, you know, the second and thirds are. are, There's a number of candidates here that you could make cases for, but for me, the the divisional
0: champion's easy with Goodnight Olive. I might be being too much of a speed figure person in the one that I would put behind Goodnight Olive or the one that I'm inclined to. And that's, uh, that's Kamari, given that mm-hmm. those both came in, in, in uh, grade two efforts. And you've got some other grade one form on, on the book to look at here. Nick, how do you see this category? Any, any arguments for any other than Goodnight Olive on top? And who would you want to see honored on the, on the ballot?
2: Uh, no, it, I would say obviously, Goodnight Olive is just supposed to be a, a near unanimous winner, and as Jay said, the importance of this category, I guess the ease of it, I should say, is that all the all the players were in the same place on uh, on Breeders' Cup Day, maybe with the exception of Kamari running in there. As opposed to the uh, to the Breeders' Cup Sprint, but given her Breeders' Cup Sprint effort, I don't think she was going to make much of an impact. And honestly, Goodnight Olive was a was a really authoritative winner. I, I, you know, hats off to her connections for getting her as good as she was towards the end of the season. This is a category that's been largely dominated by horses that won the Breeders' Cup Fillie and Mare Sprint, and I think it'll just continue that way as as it should. Uh, Kamari feels like one that can get on the ballot for for part of it. Um, You know, she didn't; she only won. The the uh, Derby City distaff, but obligatory danced a few dances and ran well. Kamari's wins in the Honorable Miss and the and the Gallant Bloom are probably enough to get her there. Uh, Caravelle, I think is totally viable as a, as a finalist as well, having won the uh, the Breeders Cup Turf Sprint in in just sort of shocking fashion, but both based on the way she won it and that she won it. But uh, nonetheless, I mean that was a that was a performance that certainly was very solid. And you really didn't have anybody else that, you know, Bella Sophia won two graded stake races, but she was sort of a joke by the end of the year. And so you really wouldn't make her a finalist and CC dotted the, uh, the country a bit and did win the Chillingsworth and won the princess Rooney. But, you know, when we were looking for CC, she really wasn't there. Um, doesn't take away from the incredible career that she had, but uh, it, it looks to me like the the horses that, definitely one the one horse you'd want to slide in on the ballot underneath Goodnight Olive is Kamari.
0: Let's talk about the male turf horse category. Nick, is this a is it my I'm tempted to ask it this way, is this a two horse race or a one horse race?
2: I mean I would vote for modern games. I don't have much of a you know of an issue with that at all. Um I think winning the the mile the way he did and and winning the, uh, I mean, and Jay can speak much better to this. I, I speak about this from a total like layman's perspective. I would, I would probably include the, the race in Canada, you know, it was a North American effort. You know, I, I, I don't have a big problem with it. He basically ran against nothing but horses that have been running in America anyway. So I, you know, I felt like his, his performance in the uh, in the breeders cup would be enough to put me over the top. And, you know, domestically, this was a division that, that was really kind of rough throughout the year. You know, we, we had Casa Creed win um, a couple of grade ones, but one was a sprint and Annapolis came to hand late in, in the year, given that his campaign started a little bit late. He did win a grade one and, and another graded stake at Saratoga. Um, I mean, Nation's Pride ran well in a number of races in America. He would have obviously been a very, very easy selection had he won the Breeders' Cup turf, but he didn't. And his stablemate Rebels Romance, just winning one race, I I don't think that that uh, makes him a better candidate than Modern Games.
0: Yeah, I'm team Modern Games here as well. I definitely am giving extra credit for the other trip over to uh, to North American shores. Rebel Ro- Rebels Romance is a horse I'd be happy to vote for in, in many years, but I just give Modern Games the, the nod over, over just having that little extra of a body of work. Is that how you see it, Jay? Are you still uh, deciding on this one?
1: No, I, I think Modern Games is the deserving champion in this division. And this is another situation we were alluding to this early on in the conversation about European-based horses who come over and and run infrequently here versus a horse who has a, a proper American-based campaign and and I tend to lean towards horses who have a strong American-based campaign if they're deserving. But as Nick just referenced, this was a division where they just took turns all year long beating one another. Nobody ever really rose to the fore. You know, you you thought at one point, well, maybe it'll be Goofo or or, you know, or somebody like that, and they just nobody ever really put together a consistent championship kind of campaign. And Modern Games came over here, a three-year-old running against older twice in North America, winning both of those races, including a Breeders' Cup race. That's, that's a deserving champion in this, in this division for me. And one of the things I was really struck by when looking at this category, there's four horses in here, Modern Games, Nation's Pride, Rebels Romance, and Santine who won grade
0: ones all for Godolphin. <laughs> it's, what a season they had. I have a feeling we'll be returning to talk uh, to I'm going to say that, that ought to make
2: a conversation, a later conversation in this podcast go very easily, right?
0: <laughs> it is pretty amazing. I'm tempted for the third to go Casa Creed over Nation's Pride I'm not downgrading the the fact uh, th- that one of those wins was a was a sprint and I just like the idea of those two grade ones against olders even though nation's pride you know again reasonable minds can disagree I just feel like given that uh, given that those efforts were all against restricted three-year-old company um, it, Maybe I'm being too mean. I mean he also if you care about trips too. I mean his trip in the British Cup turf was no picnic. He easily could have gotten second in there, I think. But you know, again, it's splitting hairs when it gets down to when it gets down to third. I, I feel like I'd be pretty happy going with either of those two. I'm I'm leaning Casa Creed on that. Do you do you feel that at all, Nick, or am I underrating Nation's Pride a little?
2: I, I think any opportunity to downgrade the importance of the turf triple races at Naira should be taken. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be so blunt, but um, I mean, the, the race that Nation's Pride won at Aqueduct for like a million dollars is is just, it's been such a terrible race year in and year out. And I, that's not taking anything away from him. I think he was, I think he was very good at Saratoga. Um, you know, he beat Annapolis and all of his rivals that day. It was kind of a bog. He had an excuse when he lost to to the uh, the Belmont Derby, to Classic Causeway, being the Classic Causeway was inside, but he was just okay. I mean, I, like you, I would rather reward a horse like Casa Creed and let him get on the ballot over Nation's Pride, but it's just not, it's not an argument that I'd be willing to make too fervently if somebody wanted to tell me that, that they really valued Nation's Pride's uh, efforts uh, over here than, I mean, I would say, yeah, that's just fine.
0: We, we feel very similarly, I think it's safe to say. Let's proceed to the female turf candidates. Jay, you've already mentioned that, the, that this is one that you, you you're going to be doing a little bit more thinking about before you commit to a pick. But take me through some of the process that you're that you're going through here.
1: I mean, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going to go here. I just think there's you could make a case for for several candidates here. Uh, in, in alphabetical order that would be in Italian, regal glory. Tuesday and warlike goddess. And and to me, the one, you know, the biggest knock on Tuesday is that she just had one race in this country. And certainly it was the championship race for the division. But then I, I kind of, as I've alluded to earlier, a couple of times, I I like to look at, was there a horse who had a proper North American based campaign that is worthy of a championship? And and to me, regal glory is the one who who most fits that category. Uh, She won three grade one races. And her race to, to finish off the year in the matriarch was breathtaking. And she had a she ran all year long. Her first start was in January. Her last start was in December. That's hard to do to keep a, a, a mare going all year long like that at the top level. And she really only ran one poor race, and that was in the Breeders' Cup mile against males. And then she bounced back with that win in, in the matriarch. So to me, to to win four out of seven and with two seconds and and a and a throwout race, perhaps in the Breeders' Cup mile, that's a good overall body of work. And, and I'm going to lean towards her. I could see those who want to make a case for an Italian. I could see those who want to make a case for Warlike Goddess, less so for Tuesday. But I, I think Regal Glory is, is who's going to get my vote. Yeah, I'm
0: with you on Regal Glory. I mean, I think you laid it out brilliantly. I, m- before looking at the paper, if you'd asked me, I would have said, oh, I think I'm leaning Warlike Goddess in that one. But when you really sit down and look at And again, I'm doing that thing where I am. I'm I'm giving a lot more value to races with the G1 than the than the G2 or G3. But I I think this is a situation where that's where that's appropriate. But Nick, I really want you to help us separate those two and, and, and all the rest in this category.
2: Yeah, and you and I kind of talked about it when we were recapping The Matriarch that I felt like I would end up going the direction of Regal Glory. And, I mean, Jay laid it out perfectly. You're talking about a, a mare that ran well from January all the way through December. And, you know, the one thing I would say about Regal Glory is that I think she took some of her rival's best punches more often than any other horse in this division did. And what I mean by that is, you know, she beat Chantasara in in the uh, Jenny Wiley, and Shana Sara was expected to be just a, a really phenomenal four-year-old after ending her three-year-old campaign so impressively. She then faced Speak of the Devil in the, in the Just a Game, and we didn't know what Speak of the Devil could be off of that huge performance on Derby Day. And then she started facing males, and I really think there's an argument that given the track profile on the day of the four-star Dave, she was probably best. She came back and ran very well, sort of playing in Italian's game at Keeneland, having to chase her on the front end. And and I, I just don't I don't see any reason to hold the uh, the Breeders Cup against her and the Matriarch was just such a compelling performance and it, it's hard to believe watching that uh, regardless of who was in there with her uh, you watch that performance and you say to yourself that's not a champion in this division it's just it's very very hard for me to to reach that conclusion so I think she earned it in in really uh, in rightful fashion with the uh, the way she capped the year and. You know, she's one of those horses that I, I hate using these as as kind of participation trophies. But the way she was campaigned, the races that she ran in, and and really as aggressive as Chad Brown was, and he is not aggressive at all. I think there's some reward that has to be given to that.
0: It is tough though when you look at it In Italian. I mean, one length in the Breeders' Cup Fillian Mare Turf, maybe a little bit more even fractions early on. I mean, she's probably a, a slam dunk for me with that, if she gets that. So it does make me want to look at it a little bit more before fully committing in the, in, in, in the category. Um, now, a question you know, for you on
2: that, Pete, as far as the race flow of the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf goes, without you know getting into a rabbit hole on this, and I kind of felt the same way until I watched the replay a couple of times and I saw how well Lady Spites beer held into that race. I think Tuesday was much, much the best in that race. Yes. They just didn't come from the back at all. And, and so, and I know that the Keeneland turf can get a little wonky in the fall and you'll see some horses stick around. I don't want to take anything away from an Italian, but I, I wonder, I think my point is that I, I left on Breeders' Cup day thinking that In Italian ran a lot better than I think now. That's don't get me wrong. I still think she ran great, but I just don't know if she ran quite as well as I originally thought.
0: It was just my visual, and we are rabbit hauling it now, my visual impression that uh, between the post and the rabbit it just it just felt like she could have run a little bit more. She could have maybe run efficiently enough more to make up a length. That's all. But you, that's fair. Not to take anything away from Tuesday. I mean, she was she was monstrously good in there. It's just it's hard. And they go back and forth in form. And I wonder what Chad Brown would say. Honestly, I I, I wonder who I wonder if you if you could get him privately who he'd uh, who he'd pick of pick of the pair. He'd say it's, Peter
2: it's, Horse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be the right answer. <laughs> Politically, for sure. But yeah, that's that's another one of the very, very uh, interesting categories. We'd love to hear your uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts about as well as uh, we continue to uh, talk about these Eclipse Award ballots. Let's move on to the steeplechase category. And this could lead to an interesting philosophical conversation, Jay, for you. I know a lot of people who are more, you know, uh, um, flat racing people will punt in this category. I do like steeplechase racing, but even years where I'm not as across on it as others, I feel almost every year like I have enough information on the paper and on the videos that I feel like getting to vote, I, I feel like it's almost my – it's my responsibility to do the work and, and pick in this category. Do you agree when it comes to steeplechase category? To, to a
1: I do to a point. Um, you know, I, I, I always look at it each year, and if it's obvious who should win – then I'm fine voting. And last year, to me, it was obvious who the best steeplechaser in the country was. You know, This year, it's a lot harder uh, because you had a horse who early on in the year was clearly the best horse in the division and who tailed off at the end of the year and snapped decisions. So how do you compare his couple of grade one wins, including in the, in the Jonathan Shepard, with losing a head-to-head against... Noah in the Ark at, at Aqueduct in the Lonesome Glory, and then getting his brains beat in uh, in the Grand National to a horse who came over and just won, you know, ran one time in this country and but but was incredibly impressive in that race and also in fact beat Noah in the Ark. You know, to me the lean at this point would be towards uh, Hewick if that's the cor- correct she pronunciation gotcha. of, of his name, but it's 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 harder for me because. You know, snap decision until his last couple races, and especially his last one, had a a pretty aggressive campaign for a steeplechaser uh, in in this country and won a couple of grade ones. So do I penalize him for just running horribly on a yielding course that he probably just didn't like and that that the horse coming over from Ireland loved? it's, it's It's a harder decision for me this year.
0: It's it's a little tricky. I think it comes down to that same idea. It's all relative, right? Because in, in, um, it's not like this is some monstrous uh, campaign that Snap Decision had, but it's still compared to the Hewick one race, you know, Breeders' Cup esque type win. I mean, Hewick. I wouldn't argue with anybody. You win the big. You win the big race, but yeah, given that we were talking about a bog. Uh, uh, Boggy ground and and one race. I'm happy to give it with snap decision with the winning the Iroquois back in May and then also the Shepherd at, at Saratoga. That that shows enough uh, versatility for me. Winning on a hunt meet style course and a racetrack style course and you know he's a. He's just a, you know, he's a horse we know and, and feels feels deserving enough to me. And Noah and the Ark just didn't do enough with the, I mean, two two really good races, but uh, just just not enough for me to feel comfortable as a champion. Very comfortable throwing in underneath. Nick, you follow the jumps a little bit, don't you? What do you do? What, how do you separate those two? What what would be your thought in this category?
2: I do follow the jumps. Um, uh, I would say, that, I mean, what Jay said about Hewick is absolutely right, and I think it's a it's not a situation because it's not a Breeders' Cup type of situation where you could take a horse that came over and just, uh, you know, give him the the distinction of champion because he won the Grand National. And it is disappointing that Snap Decision ended his campaign the way he did. I mean, Noah in the Ark really gave it to him in the Lonesome Glory, and then he came back with a dull effort at, at Far Hills. So it's unfortunate. I think, you know, in a way, you. Again, and I hate doing this and I've accused voters of doing it in the past, but you're almost giving it to Snap Decision as kind of a lifetime achievement award. Yeah, and, no you know, and and I don't love it, but um this is a horse who's been really, really good. He just so happened to run into the Mean Queen last year who got even better, and then she came back and wasn't quite as good, but he came back and was good and did run well in some grade ones before end up running poorly, you know, when it counted towards the end. So I, I would end up reluctantly going with Snap Decision and I, I will ask you the trivia question that I ask everyone when it comes to snap decision, but snap decision was favored in a Belmont weekend allowance race in 2017. That included what subsequent multiple grade one winner and champion.
0: Oh my goodness. I don't, you've probably asked this of me and it's not, it's not leaping to mind. We'll give, give, I'll think about it for 12 seconds while we give Jay a crack at it.
1: I have, I have no idea. I would, I would have to go to, you know, Dr.
0: Google to figure out that one. (laughs) Uh, um, what year was it?
2: It was 2017.
0: And, and was it a champion?
2: Uh, he, he was a champion. I'm not saying he was a champion in 2017, but he was a, he was a champion. He was even a horse. I got of it. Year. I got it.
0: Bricks and mortar.
2: Bricks, bricks and, mortar. and mortar. Snap decision <laughs> was two to one <laughs> against bricks and mortar. Who was making his first start off a long layoff. <laughs> How
0: cool is that? Oh, in that 2017 is
2: and, uh, over the flat. And you know, I mean, re- I mean, in all fairness, snap decision was not a bad flat horse. He's obviously a considerably better jumper.
0: Yeah, I mean, he still he ran like a 90 buyer speed figure this year at Colonial. It's amazing. Yes. He was just cool, you know, but but it's not like I'm giving it to him when there's another horse that clearly was better either. I wouldn't, that's where I would draw the line. I will acknowledge when I feel better about something for a Lifetime Achievement Award reason, but I'll never do it for that reason alone. At least that's how, I mean, that's how I approach it. What about you, Jay? I mean, if you're, it's a, there's, you know, I guess the most famous instance being, uh, being Rachel Alexandra, the one year where, where there was a little bit of that element to it. But I, I mean, do, do you really try to divorce your feelings about these animals as a whole from their accomplishments in the one year when you're making these decisions?
1: Yeah, I, I try and just look at the, the calendar year for how they did not do a makeup call. I mean, to me, you know, the what we're talking about here with Snap Decision is in some ways analogous to Jackie's Warrior, uh, the you know, a horse who was probably the best of the division early on, didn't finish the year off right, is probably a deserving Eclipse Award winner at some point in his career. And do you sentimentally say, okay, yeah, maybe he deserves it for this year, but since he hasn't won it, I'm even going to upgrade him a little bit more on, as you actually put it, the the Lifetime Achievement uh, Award. I try and divorce myself from that, but I I understand the sentiment of those who would let that – uh, impact how they
0: how they go. So to bring up some old wounds for some listeners, Jay, you voted for blame over Zenyatta?
1: In for horse of the year? Yeah. Absolutely. He, I mean, he beat her. I, I, I'm a huge Zenyatta fan. I think she's taken a lot of unnecessary brickbats for her supposed California-based campaign when people forget <laughs> that she, in fact, shipped and got sick at one point at Churchill Downs. And the fact that she ran on synthetic, which was like, well, it wasn't their fault that California regretfully decided to lose their minds for a period of time during her career um but the fact of the matter is that in the breeders cup classic blame beat zenyatta and blame had had a proper campaign preceding that he was by my mind should should have been that year's horse of the year
0: that's probably the poster child argument for what you were saying you're against nick am i am i correct in, in intuiting that (laughs)
1: <laughs> You're
2: really opening up a can of worms now, Pete. But um, <laughs> I, I won't. I'm, I'm not taking your bait. But yeah, no, I I, I think so. I think the, the comparison is is fair. That, that I think the comparison Jay brought up was great with Jackie's Warrior and and actually I was actually going to say one more thing because I didn't realize it when we were talking about that category not to jump back and well, set up okay. back, but Jackie's Warrior won the Eclipse last year, and obviously the other candidate was a horse like Aloha West who in many ways had very similar candidacy to elite power. And, and I wonder if the difference between the Jackie's warrior candidacy in 21 versus 22 is that, I mean, he was largely unblemished coming into the breeders cup with some very, very impressive races, throughout the year. And if that's no, if maybe him not looking quite as strong throughout the year is supposed to be enough for you to, to be tilted in the direction of Aloha West. But it it is interesting. And I thought about that when Jay brought up the comparison to, uh, to Jackie's warrior for a horse like snap decision and ended up looking at the results and, and saw that he did win it last year.
0: Yeah. That's that's that, that takes some of that sentimental angle away and maybe plays to the, the elite power chances. Let's talk about owner. Jay, what are the categories, like what are the statistical categories that you look at the most? For this? We are served up from our, uh, our friends at the NTRA certain stats in terms of ranked by earnings, ranked by graded wins, by grade one wins, and by wins overall. Is that, or is that what you use to make your decision in this category? Are you looking beyond that?
1: It's something that I think you, you obviously have to weigh. And for me, most importantly, it's grade one wins. And, and But one thing that I do, Pete, and, and Nick, when I am filling out my ballot, I'll, I'll make a grid of all the horses that I've voted for divisional champions, and then who rode that horse, who trained that horse, who owned that horse, and who bred that horse. And that often makes it really easy for me to figure out who should be the divisional winners in, in those categories, because you'll, I'll start to see, for instance, we, let's use owners, since that that's what you brought up. I'm going to have Mike Rapoli as a champion, co-owner of Forte and of Nest. I'm going to have Godolphin, uh, perhaps, as, as a two-time champion. If I go for Cody's Wish as Sprinter, I'm not sure I'm going to, but certainly for Modern Games. So those are, those are among the things I would look at. And then, you know, I obviously give the horse of the year. Uh, I always vote for whoever campaigned the horse of the year or bred the horse of the year uh, one of my top three votes because I just
0: think they deserve that. That makes perfect sense. What, what are you leaning in the owner category as of right now in terms of ranking those uh, those three? Uh, probably
1: Rapoli and or then Godolphin. Uh, but, I, you know, I think what Rapoli... Did. And, and it, it get, kind of gets lost in the table that is sent out on the, on the printed ballot that we get, because the two horses he was involved in are two different partnerships. And right. so they both show up as three grade one wins for each partnership. But if you combine them, he had six grade one wins, but most significantly, two champions. You know, and Peter Brandt had nine grade one wins, seven by himself, and then two more uh, as part of a partnership. Those are those are significant things. But it, it, for me, it comes back to, you know, we're rewarding divisional champions for the horses and we should be rewarding the connections of those horses in terms of the human element here. And so that's kind of how I, that's the macro way that I approach those categories.
0: Reply Stable stands out for participating in the two partnerships when it pertains to the horse of the year flight line, how do you separate out his various owners? Or do you just put the whole conglomerate in there? I would put the
1: whole group in because he was campaigned as that group. Now, if it turned out that there were other horses that were owned by people in that group who were champions, that, that might be different. But in this specific calendar year, that's not
0: the case it's a tricky year for me because I feel, to, to, I mean, I love that idea of doing that, but I feel like this year you do have the, the you know, you meant the Repoli angles great. And then you've got, you know, Godolphin and Branch seem like, I feel like I'd be doing something wrong if I didn't put them on the ballot, you know?
1: Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're both deserving, uh, as yeah. is Godolphin of, of being up for consideration for champion owner. You know, a lot of times I think some of the voters just look at, well, who won the most money, or who won the most Grade One wins? And and in this case, it's Godolphin for both is the answer to both of those. And they are certainly deserving. They had a they had a great year, but I think you've got to drill down a little deeper and see if there are others who potentially are are deserving who might not have had the strength in numbers, but still accomplished quite a bit based on you know what they had. And I and I think you can make that case, especially for. Uh, the partnerships
0: of of Nest and Forte. What do you think about this category, Nick? Where would your vote go?
2: You know, I, I know they've won it two years in a row, and and I don't think it's a cop out by any means, but it's awfully tough to argue with the the godolphin accomplishments especially with regards to breeders cup weekend they won with rebels romance they won with modern games they won with cody's wish they won with mischief magic so i mean four breeders cup wins and and having 84 wins on the year winning the largest number of great ones i i think that that would make it pretty you know pretty tough to to dispute for me um rapoli obviously had a tremendous year and and owning horses in partnership shouldn't penalize you by any means and and I think he uh, is is definitely deserving of getting onto the ballot but I just think the power in those stats on Godolphin is probably probably a little too much for me to overlook and and I would I would want to use those stats versus the performance not any you know in any like greater fashion than I would the performances on Breeders' Cup weekend, and the individual efforts of champions like Jason, which I think is a great way of looking at it. You know, who owned, not necessarily the horses who won the most grade ones or who earned the most money, but who who owned champions, right? Yeah. Let's reward people who own champions. And I still think I would come to the conclusion that Godolphin gets, a, gets the nod, um, not by a huge margin by any means, but certainly comfortably enough.
0: When you look at the stats that they give us for the, the breeding category, you, you're going to see a whole lot of blue at the top of, at the top of the list, obviously. Uh, maybe is this a short conversation or is there, is there a reasonable alternative this year, Jay, to Godolphin in the breeder category?
1: You know, obviously Godolphin is going to be uh, a finalist and probably if you had to make a betting line, they're probably favored again uh, with the most grade one wins. But again, you know, using the grid that, that I like to to look at, I think you've got to give a strong look at Stone Street, who will ha- be the breeder of likely champion Malathat uh, and likely champion Goodnight Olive. That's, yeah. Those are significant accomplishments. And, you know, they did it with far fewer runners or starters than, than Godolphin did. Uh, but, you know, Godolphin's going to have at least one if not two champions and they certainly won the most grade one races. So to me, it comes down to those two. And I also, again, think that you've got to reward uh, the woman Jane Lyon who who bred Flightline through her summer wind farm and and stayed in for a piece as well and was the co-owner of the horse. She will, she will be in my top three, uh, no matter what she's done. She's turned out a number of good horses, from a very small broodmare band over the year. And is probably if you compare what you have accomplished with what you start with uh, you could make a strong case for her, for Jane
0: Lyon uh, through, through her summer wind farm as well. Those are both terrific cases for, for alternatives to Godolphin in the category. Nick, do you think there's any chance we might see a little Godolphin fatigue that could open it up for those other deserving winners in this category?
2: I mean, I, you know, I think in the, in the case this year where you had the horses like Malathot and, um, and Clariere, um, both bred by stone street, um, and a uh, good night olive as well as, as Jay said, they also bred Pauline's Pearl who was a grade one winner throughout the year. So I think there might be a little love for stone street. Who's never gotten, never gotten this award and, and certainly had a, you know, a big year. I think it's easy to always attribute, Curlin's success even though they don't stand Curlin it's easy to to attribute his success to Stone Street and he had a tremendous year I'm not saying that should be a factor but I think there are some reasons to believe that uh, that you could go that direction so I wouldn't be shocked to see them I think they very much should be a finalist and I agree with Jay that summer wind is uh, is deserving as well and we have seen in many years where the breeder of the the best horse or the horse of the year generally gets into the,
0: the the final three category and I think that's deservedly so this next category is another one, Nick, where you're going to accuse me of trolling you because we've spent plenty of time on these airwaves over the past year questioning the occasional tactics of the man who I'm going to guess you're going to put at the top of your uh, your list to be the Eclipse winning jockey this year. Am I right?
2: Oh yeah, no, it's this is Irad and, and and a cloud of dust. I mean, it's it's uh, it's tough to argue with what he did this year. He's been incredible. And um, yeah, he's not the easiest to root for sometimes with his very, very aggressive tactics and, and sometimes no holds barred type of strategy, but um, it's tough to argue with his performance and, you know, winning a couple of breeders cup races after having the year that he did winning the Saratoga title, um, you know, winning, obviously the Pegasus, winning some of the, some of the richest races in this country. I think it's a pretty, pretty tough to keep him from getting it. So I'll go with Ira. He won actually. I shortchanged me. Won three Breeders Cup races. Forte, Elite Power, as well. So it's uh, it's been a good year for him, and so he should
1: he should end up getting that award.
0: Is this just more of our East Coast bias, Jay, or, or are you in agreement on this one?
1: No, I mean he he deserves it. He's going to be the champion rider of Forte. Uh, he was the regular rider of Nest. <laughs> He's the regular rider of Elite Power. Uh, regular rider of Goodnight Olive. You know. Th- those are four, three for sure, and potentially four Eclipse Award winners that he will have ridden in addition to winning more grade ones than anybody, winning more money than anybody. You know, we certainly were all uh, concerned over the way he conducts himself out on the race course at times. But in terms of overall performance and achievement for the year, he deserves it. He is, he is the Eclipse Award winning jockey by far, as far as I'm concerned for this year.
0: What other names do you see maybe being in the ballot uh, behind him?
1: I would certainly look at uh, Pratt, uh, who finished second in earnings and grade one wins and and rode the horse that I think will certainly be horse of the year. Uh, Rosario was, and and also uh, Pratt not only rode the horse of the year, but as I was saying earlier, you know, leaning towards regal glory. And while Jose Ortiz was the regular rider for regal glory most of the year, Pratt did in fact rider uh to her matriarch win which is probably the win that if she does win that category is the win that's going to put her over the top and you could certainly look at obviously Joel Rosario who rode Warlike Goddess and Jackie's Warrior uh and Epicenter uh are our eclipse award type horses that that he was the regular rider of so those are those are the for me the the top 3
0: we're reading from the same uh playbook on that one Another category that, that, that there's often a lot of different approaches to uh, somewhat controversially and by far for me, the hardest category of the bunch apprentice jockey. Jay, is this another one where you'll take years off or, or do, do you have a, a horse in the race here as it were?
1: no i'm I'm gonna pass on this. I usually do once in a while i'll I'll weigh in if I think there's a, an apprentice jockey who, conducted him or herself uh, with with did well against uh, on a top circuit uh, that to me is an important aspect of this but I, I just philosophically hate this category because we don't have an apprentice trainer category and I don't think we should have an apprentice jockey category so I'm inclined usually to not vote here and to just abstain and I'm 99 percent certain that that'll be how I handle the, the 2022 ballot for this category. And I'll just let others who feel strongly about the merits of uh, Gomez or Barbosa or Del Cid or any of the other uh, top candidates or you know Kylie Jordan, I'll, I'll let them uh, decide this one, but uh, I'm probably gonna take a pass.
0: Now, my uh, in your philosophy, I, 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 I totally get. I worry that in the real world, we'll have plenty of people voting in this category who are less qualified than you, Jay, and that that pressure makes me just want to do the best I can and fill this out, even though I I would be calmer about it if I if I punted. Um, and it's 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 tricky. I mean, I think you mentioned probably the four most interesting names. I keep coming back to Gomez for that point that you made about riding on the top circuit. But the Del Cid numbers are very impressive uh, when, you, when you look at them, not just in context of apprentices, but in context of, of all jockeys. So I'm just having a lot of trouble separating these. I, I may do some more digging, look for some more advanced metrics about, you know, what prices, the, the, how they do, how these jockeys do relative to the price of horse they ride and try to separate out some of the opportunities from, from the skill before I make a final commitment. Nick, you told me off air that you did have a strong opinion in this category.
2: Um I mean, I don't know if I would call it a strong opinion. I think if i was was told you have to vote or you're never being allowed to vote again, I would vote for del Cid. Um, you know, I don't I watch too much New York racing to give Jose Gomez any awards. So um, with all due respect to him, and I know, you know i'm I'm being overly critical of him because he definitely rides in the best colony by far. but um this second half of the year for him has been really, really brutal and and he had to end up going to parks and. and and to jersey a lot to win races but i mean i'm talking about a guy that's like five for his last hundred coming into you know to the end of the year um which for an apprentice you know he's just not winning a lot of races and and i think i think he lost a little bit of confidence at saratoga you know he he lost some races at saratoga on horses that he just never should have lost on i've watched barbosa a good bit seems like a kid that wants to ride wherever he can and, um, and, and you know, you want to applaud somebody for that, but Del Cid has ridden against enough good jockeys in Louisiana and has posted the kind of statistics to me that I believe that if you put him in a better colony, he probably could be effective. So I would end up going there, but uh, I mean, it would be a, a situation where if I was allowed to abstain, I would have no problem doing it. I wish there were categories where people didn't even feel inclined to abstain because you know, that shouldn't be what we do. But as Jay said, we don't have an apprentice trainer category. So it is a little awkward in that respect. But um, yeah, if I was voting, I would, I would go with Cid.
0: Let's talk about trainer since we're, uh, since we're there. Anyway, Nick, what's your thoughts on, uh, what's your thoughts on this category?
2: Well, you know, I mean, it obviously boils down to Pletcher and Chad Brown, in my opinion. And I think John Sadler should be the other finalist simply for the job he did with Flightline. He really didn't have any other horses of note throughout the year. Um, You know, Chad's got Todd by a few dollars on earnings and and todd's got him uh by champions p- potentially he's definitely got him by breeders cup wins two to one and they'll probably each have two champions so you know it, it, it's a very very even category and i mean look somebody's gonna have to go there and bring it up because i think a lot of voters are probably gonna vote for todd because they think he's a better human being and, and i don't think that that's that's just not something that i'm i would have a, a terribly big argument with somebody about if you're talking about merits on the racetrack you're probably going with Chad he won the Saratoga training title he's won more races he's won more money you know that's pretty tough to argue with especially given that that Chad doesn't really cut a lot of corners in terms of sending horses to other places to get wins to pad his stats I mean maybe Tampa is the only place I'd hear a little bit of an argument about with that but um so, you know, I, I would vote for Chad Brown. But again, I'm voting for the trainer who had the best season, not necessarily the one who made the best decisions.
0: I think that it's going to be interesting to see how voters choose to, to separate these two. I mean, it is amazing on the numbers how, how close they are. Jay, is it is it one of those two and, and Sadler for, for the horse of the year in, in third? And and how do you separate Brown and Pletcher at this
1: point? Yeah, I, I agree that those are the three, but I'm going to – probably flip the top two uh you know both chad and todd had outstanding years but again going back to the the grid that i do i'm gonna have pletcher winning three categories uh, with forte for two-year-old male nest for three-year-old philly and Malathat for older dirt mare and i'm gonna have chad winning two for goodnight olive for philly sprinter and regal glory for female grass horse and so in a in a in a category where you could go either way and not be wrong. That's how I'm going to end up probably deciding the the top two and putting Pletcher above Chad Brown, uh, because of, he's going to have on by my way of voting three divisional champions to Chad's two. And then certainly Sadler is deserving of, uh, of finishing, uh, being the, the, the other top vote
0: getter in this category, just for the job that he did with, with the horse of the year. Incredible, incredible job, and and for a horse that you know just got flight line and this perfect segue into horse of the year, just got better and better, and just kept doing it more and more impressively too. You know, this was not a horse who just took advantage of of easy situations, and you know, with the all the attendant questions about his ability to stay on the racetrack, the fact that he was able to finish so strong, and to my eye, worked just better and better as he went along. It was obviously a great training job, and yeah, for that, I have no problem putting him up there. I. I just I lean I I respect your process and I totally get it, Jay, that you you'd flip them, but I I feel like I just uh just the the nose hair of a of a win for for Chad for me in the in the trainer category and and again no argument with anybody who'd wanna who'd wanna wanna flip them I don't think Sadler's work outside of flight line was enough that you could really make a that great of a. Camp of a of a case for him over those other two. I just think their numbers are too prolific. But I'd listen to the case if somebody wanted to make it. Who's in your horse of the year ballot after Flightline Jay?
1: Yeah, I, I'm really not sure how I'm going to fill out the the next two behind him because you know he's certainly the the horse of the year. And then there's really nobody else to me who's like a top horse that you could say, oh, this horse is. If it wasn't for Flightline, this horse would have been the horse of the year. I mean, you, you can't really say that, for instance, about, let's use the three-year-old males. Would you say that about Taba or Epicenter? You know, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know that they would be the horse of the year if not for Flightline. Would it be Malathat? Maybe, but boy, I mean, she's just a, a, a sliver better than than Clarier. So it's it's a hard category for me to, to fill out the, the second and third spots, and I might actually circle back. To horses who were divisional rivals of Flightline and aren't gonna be a divisional champion, but might have been the best horses behind him on the racetrack this year. Horses like Life
0: is Good and Olympiad. Yeah. That's totally reasonable to me, uh, with with it being so hard to separate those others, and both Life is Good and Olympiad having uh, having pretty nice cases. Um, I, I, I respect that. I respect that approach. I may even steal it. Mick, how would you vote in this category behind Flightline?
2: Yeah, it's it's. I totally agree with Jay. I mean, it's. I, I guess the horse that if you wanted to say, and I think going with, with Life is Good and Olympiad is probably exactly what I would do. The, the only other horse that I could let enter into the equation is Malathot. But again, I mean, she, she was just narrowly better than some horses in her own division. And it would have taken a pretty crazy result in the, you take Flightline out of the equation altogether. You have a different Met Mile winner, you have a different Pacific classic winner, different breeders cup classic winner. You feel like Olympiad or life is good would have won the breeders cup classic. You also feel like somebody else would have been a good enough candidate to knock Malathot off a, a horse of the year ballot. So I mean, I would, if I you know, didn't feel inclined to, to use a life is good in Olympiad. she would be the next candidate for me. But I mean, as I was saying before, you know, Olympiad's campaign was, was really worthy of, you know, a little acknowledgement. I mean, it doesn't need an award. It's, 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 these aren't participation trophies, but you know, he did have a nice long campaign where he ran a lot of good races. And, and even though it was, it was kind of front loaded, he did win the jockey club gold cup. So Um, It it was just that it was one of those situations where he lost the important race and the important race was the Whitney. And so after the Whitney, everybody had a totally different viewpoint seemingly of Olympiad. And and I think he really lost a lot of luster at that uh, particular point in time. So I I would give him the, I'd give him the, the, I guess, uh, award of being a finalist for horse of the year.
0: I guess Cody's wish would be another uh, another quite reasonable way to go in terms of coming up with another one to put on there, and then between that, it would be your pick of the three year olds for me for me epicenter. But the, the fact you're not even that-
2: giving Cody's wish an eclipse award, but you are going to make him a horse of the year finalist. Happy? Be- <laughs> I
0: I think it's reasonable.
2: No,
1: I hear you. I am giving you it's a hard time. That is not reasonable. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> you you think Olympiad – Just because Olympiad is clearly no, no. A better- I just
1: think no, no. I I just think you you can't say Cody's Wish is the horse of the year finalist if you don't have him as a divisional winner so how, how do you you can't justify Cody's Wish as being a horse of the year finalist over if you're voting for either Elite Power or Jackie's Warrior to me you can't justify then saying Cody's Wish is a better horse of the year candidate but he couldn't even win his division that to me doesn't make
0: sense i just for me he only ran one race in the division i'm just i, I really have trouble shaking that am I, am I am i just wrong is a mile a sprint now no, no.
1: It's. I mean, I'm just saying. You, know, you can look at a one turn mile as as an elongated sprint if you want to. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know that I would vote for Cody's wish for for sprinter. I'm just saying that that's something you could use to bolster his candidacy in addition to his win at Saratoga. But to what we're talking about now, I just don't see how you can justify voting for a horse as a making a horse a horse of the year finalist over a horse who you preferred in that horse's division. That doesn't add up to me.
0: No, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I think it's the neither fish nor fowl nature of the, of the Cody's Wish thing that's just that, that made it like leap to mind, wanting to, wanting to do something there. But I really like this Olympiad campaign. The, the, the more I, the more I look at it, the idea of trying to do something to reward it feels like feels like the right move. So this is great, guys. I mean, with armed with this info and, and you know, letting it marinate for a bit, I'm going to go back through and, and finalize all these picks is going to be something very close to what we determined here. And Jay, when you finalize yours, if you, uh, when you tweet that out, I'll make sure to to find it and we'll highlight that for people and we'll keep the conversation going on, uh, on Twitter and, and elsewhere, but guys really appreciate your time and your insights for what's always a really fun show to do and hope to have you both back on uh, as soon as we can. Thank you, Jay.
1: Thanks Pete. And I, I hope uh, for the listeners, I hope it just gives them an insight into the, into the process and and hopefully uh, helps them understand how some of these decisions are made.
0: And Nick, we'll be looking forward to your work back on the website with the resumption of, of Naira and we'll have you on to do some more recapping soon. Sounds
2: great. Thanks guys. Enjoyed it
0: good stuff we'll thank our founding partners 10 strike racing and the thoroughbred retirement foundation if you're looking to do some end of year charitable donating trfinc.org players is a link you can look at and if you have questions you can reach out to kim weir at the thoroughbred retirement foundation as for 10 strike you know around here we always like to root for the purple and black most of all I want to thank all of you the listeners for making these shows so much fun to do this show's been a production of in the money media our business manager is breeders cup betting challenge champion drew Cotney. our chief creative officers jonathan kinchin i'm peter thomas Fornital. may you win all your photos